Bibles turn to Revelation 22. We want to read the first five verses. If, if, we, if we really wanted to and had the time, and when I say time, I mean like three days, we could look at all of chapter 21 and 22 and really dive in. We've done that before many, many years ago. Uh, this is pre-COVID. So PC, it is now AC after COVID is the way we're doing years now. Um, we went chapter by chapter through Revelation, and you can thank Fred Mathers for that. I came here, you know, he's one of our deacons, and he said, Nate, no preacher's not been here gone through Revelation. So, okay, so we went chapter by chapter. I probably disagree with half of what I said during that series, but I'm sure you can find that somewhere. Revelation 22, stand with me, reference to God's Word. We'll read just the first five verses. We'll be all over the place, so uh, this will be really a launching pad. Chapter 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will need no light, lamp, or sun. The Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, as always, we gather. We ask that you would open our entire being, that we would receive, believe, and apply your word. We ask that you would do that this evening, as today we look at just the good news. Uh, your kingdom is coming. You will reign forever on a new heavens and new earth. Let it be that day comes soon. Name yourself, we pray. Amen. May be seated. There was a lady at the church I first pastored, Goshen Baptist Church in uh, Glendine, Kentucky, who I was quite fond of. When we first came, I was convinced she 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 despised me. Maybe she did, but um, she always looked angry. And uh, when I went to go visit her for the first time, I just thought this is the nicest lady I've ever met. One of the most interesting women I've ever met. She she would babysit our kids. Uh, she never had kids herself. Was never married. Uh, so ladies, you know how happy she was that, you know, being that she wasn't married. And uh, she was like a, in, she worked in ins insurance. And because she was single, she got to travel all over the country and the world. I mean, she, she lived an interesting life. One of the hardest working people I've ever met. And she was retired. She didn't have a job. When I say hardest working, I mean, she mowed her yard constantly. At her funeral, I had actually brought up that uh, it annoyed me. Here was a lady in her 80s uh, out there mowing her yard. She had neighbors and family that were very capable of doing it. I, you know, I thought as a new preacher, the church should do it for, you know, all this sort of stuff. But she insisted. She was a very hard-working woman. She traveled to New York while, while we were there. And I, she, she had never, ever spent a night in the hospital. Not one day in her life did she ever spend a night in the hospital. She was barely on any medicine. I think it was blood thin or something like that. She was a very interesting lady. Her name was Pauline. She always sat to, 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 to my left in the pulpit um, and uh, uh, loved, loved her dearly. Went over to visit her one time, and she was reading uh, a really helpful book I'd recommend to you by Randy Alcorn, simply titled Heaven. And, and it's approach to sort of answer everything the Bible has to say about heaven, answer all your questions, a very helpful resource. Um, she was reading it. Now, the healthiest uh, elderly lady in our church and little did I know that when I went over to, to visit with her, um, she was really nervous. She was about to have surgery and for the first time in her life spend the night in the hospital. It was a minor surgery, nothing serious, just something that had to be done. And she was really nervous, had really never been sick. 
Within the month, she'd be dead. And I went back to her house, and her family came in and meet with them before the funeral and talk with them. And there, right next to her favorite chair, where she always sat, lied that book nearly completed. The family gifted me that book. I still have it. Um, it's got some of her notes. It's got bulletins from the church in it that she had stuffed in that book. He was a lady who was in uh, really good health. Um, and the last thing that she was studying from the Word of God was heaven. There's something good about that, I think. Even though she was unaware, and all of us were unaware of situations she found herself in, that it was only a matter of time before she would go to see the Lord. Her mind was occupied with what awaits her, and what it is, I believe, that she sees now. Um, heaven is a subject that is good news to the Christian. Sometimes, in some contexts, we talk about it too much. In other contexts, we don't talk about it enough. And like all things, I think we should address subjects as often as the Bible does. Let's look at the subject sort of from, from a broad perspective. Let's start here. What do we mean by the word heaven? Right? It's, it's a term we use all the time. It may be surprised to some of us that the Bible has three different definitions for it. Um, that, so when you're reading through the Bible, it may mean this for heaven, and we only have one definition for heaven. Because each of these words, we, we will use a, a different term. But, but in the Hebrew and Greek, in, in, in the uh, 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 ancient Near Eastern uh, worldview, it really has, has just one meaning. Here's the first meaning. It means the sky. It just means the sky. Look up at the blue space. It's the heavens. Let me prove it to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the sky and the land, to be more literal, to, to be literal in the modern English sense. God created the sky and the land. Same thing, Matthew 6, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you more valuable than them? Same thing is look at the birds of the heaven. So your heavenly Father puts the birds in the heavens. Well, there's two different heavens there. But it's still present there in, in the text. Likewise, the, the Bible uh, will use the meaning of the cosmos or the universe. If you ever get a chance to read C.S. Lewis's Ransom trilogy, he has a beautiful scene where Ransom is sent in the space. It's his sci-fi thing. And Ransom is sent to Mars. Um, um, and there he describes, when he looks out the window of his rocket ship, he, he has a line that says something like, it was at that moment Ransom realized why the ancients called it the heavens. Lewis makes the point that using a term like the cosmos or the universe actually simplifies what, it, what the cosmos is. We've turned it into material when, rea when in reality it's creation. I think Lewis is actually on to something. Um, and it is to cosmos. So Psalm 8, 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the cosmos. It's not above heaven, right? It's not above the, the presence of God. It's, it's, it's above the cosmos. So here the psalmist, he thinks, what, what, what is the most grandest thing I can see and perceive every, every evening? It's, it's the heavens. It's the cosmos. And God's glory is greater and even beyond that. Well, that leads to the third, the third meaning, the one that we usually mean, and that is the presence of God. Uh, the Bible uh, references this all over the place. Uh, I took several references out to Corinthians 12. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. You've heard this phrase before. The first heaven is sky. Second heaven is the cosmos. Third heaven is the presence of God. 
Paul is, this is an autobiographical section in 2 Corinthians. And Paul is saying, whether in the body or in the spirit, I don't know, but I myself was caught up in the third heaven. Right? And, and so within the Bible itself, we get that distinction. Hebrews 8.1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven. Right? Where God is, there, there you will find he- heaven. Hebrews 9. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, the temple, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. It's not the sky. It's not the cosmos. Acts 7.55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, as Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So when we talk about heaven, the, the Bible uses these, these three categories. And, and, and sometimes, as, as we saw um, in, in the Matthew 6, interchangeably, the air and the heavens uh, or, or the presence of God. Uh, and so uh, remember that when you're reading through the Bible, that, that the Bible just uses these terms and you're just supposed to know the difference. Uh, even though in English we have different words for them. Uh, secondly, what will our, exist- our eternal existence be like? Now, we need to be clear here. The Bible doesn't answer every question. The Bible only answers the questions the Bible wants to answer. Um, what we do is, is we come with our questions, um, and we want the Bible to answer it. And sometimes we want to force the Bible to answer it. Um, but the Bible does answer a few important questions. First of all, the place of heaven. Contrary to popular belief, as, as we talked about this morning, heaven isn't the cloud, some, some disembodied uh, mystical cloud experience where we're just hopping from one cloud to, to another. Um, revelation is clear that our eternal abode will be a new heavens and a new earth. What we have, what we experience then is a new creation. Read Revelation, particularly the, the latter chapters, and, and look how often the word new is, is said. So a new city descends upon a new heavens and a new earth. Now, what are the new heavens and new earth? A new, a new sky and a new land. Uh, so, so what you get in Revelation is a retelling of the creation story. God creates the sky and the land in Genesis 1. He creates a new sky and a land, a new heavens, a new earth in, 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 in Revelation. And then a new city comes down. And the city is where people dwell. And God will be at the center of that city. It's the city of Jerusalem. So God will renew the earth, and the joy of, of the Garden of Eden will be renewed. So, so you see here in Revelation 2, the emphasis is on the river of life, the tree of life. So you have a tree of life taken clearly from Genesis 1 and 2, and then you have uh, rivers flowing from it, which is, again, taken from Genesis 1, 1 to 3. And so emphasis on water, on life, on, on all of that. But the main difference between Eden and the new heavens and new earth is... is Adam and Eve knew God as creator. We will know God as creator and redeemer. That we are here by the grace of God. But not only does the Bible tell us about the place of heaven, it tells us about the people of heaven. I always mention this every time we talk about heaven is when I was a youth pastor, the number two question, number one question was, how far can I go with my girlfriend? Number two question was, um, how old will we be in heaven? Right? Something like that. And, and you know why, right? These are 16-year-olds with muscles behind their earlobes, right? You know, they, they, they enjoy them, right? Because they, they, they pass really quick. Those muscles just disappear. And, um, uh, and so what they want is, you know, they have great-grandmothers in their 80s and 90s, and, and they think, well, uh, I, love, I love Meemaw, but Meemaw can't walk anymore. Uh, Meemaw doesn't have a very good memory anymore, and, and I don't want heaven to be like that. And so what they've done is, is they think, well, the youthfulness 
is what we want, right? And, and uh, I, I think we're sort of missing the point. The question isn't in the Bible, because I think it's an American question, not a biblical one. We prioritize youth, whereas the ancient cultures prioritized age, because with age came wisdom. With youth comes folly. If you don't believe me, hang out with teenagers. Full of life and energy. No, wouldn't you love to have that? Uh, what they lack is wisdom. Right? I've, I've told the story before. One of the first teams I ever coached, there were eight, nine-year-olds, little kids. And one kid just, he just, he, he, as my mom and dad would say, didn't just get on my last nerve, it was jumping on it. And um, at one point, I mean, he wouldn't do anything I asked. I said, do you think it's possible, little boy, that maybe I know more about soccer than you do? Yeah? I'm like, well, then act like it. If I tell you to stand here, it's because I know that we need somebody to stand here and do this job. Right? It's, 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 it, just, it just annoyed me, right? Uh, full of energy, just no sense. Um, but what the Bible cares about is our physical bodies and the lacks of the fall on those bodies. So when we talk about what is our age, we, we bring with it a sort of understanding of what age means. Um, we will not be spiritual bodies or spiritual beings with, you know, harps and all that sort of stuff. We'll be embodied. And that means that sickness and frailty, disease, weakness, all that will be no more. And once that is removed, do you really care whether you're 20, 40, 60, 80, or 287? No, no, you don't. It's irrelevant because time itself uh, doesn't matter. It really exists uh, because we, we are eternal beings. And that's good news. Uh, you know, there are no wheelchairs up in heaven. There are no canes up in heaven. No arthritis up in heaven. Uh, all of that is, is gone. So who will be there, right? We were talking about the people of heaven. Well, what we're really asking when we ask this question is, will my loved ones be there? One of the things that we, 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 we long for, right, is, is the people we miss now, uh, that we will be reunited, and rightly so. Um, I, I, my grandfathers died when I was a freshman in high school. Um, one of my grandfathers died of, you know, they both died of cancer, but one had fought cancer for two or three years. So my memories of him really predate sixth grade. And so I was young. And what I remember about him was he was a big guy, both in height and girth. And the cancer took all that away. And, and he had a voice that you could hear. And when we started mowing his yard, he would sit out there because he had cancer. He would sit out there and watch us and make sure we did it right. And uh, we, 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 we had to uh, bag all the grass, you know. And there was a certain way to bag the grass. That's really some of my main memories. When we would go over as kids, we just rode our bikes all over Warsaw. You know, we, we didn't hang out with Paul. We, when my grandmother died, we, we went out to eat all the time because he couldn't cook, right? And so he got to eat a lot of pancakes over at Paul Paul's house. Um, those are really my memories. That's almost all of them, really. And um, I can't wait to meet him. One of my big regrets in life is that my kids never got to meet my grandparents, any of them. And I didn't even get to meet one of my grandmothers. So... Um, yeah, I, I do want to be reunited. Um, the number of people I've buried over the years, I, I want to be reunited with them, uh, uh, to join with them from worship and everything else. The Bible does hint at this in First Thessalonians 4. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be the Lord. I found that language interesting. It's an implication, uh, but I think, it's, I think it's a good implication here. It's, it's that... We together, those of us who, who we know each other are growing together in this life, we together will go, and we together will be with the Lord. I, I think that's hinting at something. Um, but even then, I, I, I think we're missing the point. That what we want heaven to be often is that 
we will know our loved ones. I think it's better than that. The issue is, is that we will know the saints. So that means that there are believers right now in the village of Dargo in Niger, Africa, who I couldn't tell you their names, but we will gather together at the marriage supper of the Lamb and we'll know each other quite well. And we'll have an eternity to get to know each other better. That's good news too. Much as I am confident that um, the people I love who, who, who we've lost, we will be reunited and gather at the throne of the resurrected Savior. I, I think all of that is true. It isn't just the people we know, but the people whom um, we share a faith with. I think that's good news. Good news indeed. Well, here's the big question. What will we do in heaven? Right. What are we going to do the whole time? I, mean, I don't know if you know this, but eternity is a long time. It is a long, long time. Um, and um, so we, when I was a little kid, I used to say, I'm going to walk from one end to the heaven, one end of heaven to the other. You know, because what else, what else am I going to do? Right. You know. Just look at the sights and sounds. I'm sure my wife will take pictures and post it on Heaven Book or something like that. And, um, well, let me show you just a little bit what the Bible says that we'll do. Again, this is an exhaustive list. We could, I'm sure there's other things we could look at and uh, even um, uh, think about others. But this will keep us busy for the evening. Uh, first of all, we will laud. They all start with L's. So if you don't like the word, I'm trying to make them all literate so, so you know it's inspired. This is that we will worship the Lord. Almost every time the curtains of heaven are pulled back, we are immediately overwhelmed with the sight of worship. If you're looking for references here, Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, the cherubim singing, or the seraphim rather in Isaiah 6. Um, for eternity, man, they just, they just celebrate. They're such an awe that they will worship. Or Revelation 4 and 5, my, two of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, where, where what you have is a ripple effect. You have the four living creatures there at the... Uh, uh, throne of the lion lamb and then the 24 elders and then you you get the other divine beings and then you get the saints right and just one after another they all fall down and worship and they worship god as creator in chapter 4 of revelation redeemer in chapter 5 of revelation and there the lion lamb is there to receive it all i mean the bible is very clear there will be much worship in it and worship will be a priority in heaven but every time that is mentioned the response to that is well that sounds pretty boring. And let's be honest. It does, doesn't it? And the reason should be obvious why it sounds boring. It's because our worship too often is boring. We allow worship to become boring. At least worship that is, that is directed towards the Savior. Uh, I, I remember uh, several years ago, my family and I went to Charlotte, North Carolina for our family trip. It was a four-day trip. And... Um, the reason we went was so that I can watch my favorite soccer team play. That's the reason we went. Now, we did other stuff. Uh, Elijah liked rocks because he's a weirdo. And so uh, we went and uh, dug for gold. Uh, he actually owns a little bit of gold. I'm super tiny. Uh, uh, at the rate things are going with inflation, he'll be filthy rich. Um, and uh, my daughter, we took her to a cheese place don't don't laugh at me i mean you can't go right ahead um she really loves cheese and so um um uh, for amanda we went to the billy graham museum and looked around i mean we, we did all kinds of things but the main reason we went was to watch a soccer game and those two hours felt like maybe 20 minutes my biggest regret was that it was only two hours it was a time of my life here was a english team english premier league team that I know this would be a rare moment in my life 
um, and they're coming to the U.S. this year, but we're, we're not going to be able to go. Um, and, uh, um, and not for one second did I think for two hours on board. And yet, if, if you were to move any of us from whatever your thing would be, I don't know, a, a tractor pull for all I care, uh, or what it might be, and then you move them right into a sanctuary where we have to sing for 20 minutes, suddenly it feels like two hours. What does that tell you about us? One of the things that Americans have done is, is we've confused worship with entertainment and entertainment with worship. So we've tried to turn worship into entertainment, and we treat entertainment like it is worship. Um, my main email address is Yahoo. And you can ask Annette this. I have a habit. Every time I pull up Yahoo, they go check my mail to log in. Yahoo will have on its main page some drama going on with celebrities. And, and I will like act like a teenage girl all excited because this celebrity is dating this celebrity. I don't know who they are. Right. And, and what we're doing is we're making fun of that culture. But that culture makes sense in America because we prioritize celebrity culture. Um, have you ever been to a sporting event that when you really sat back, you realized, man, that was worship. Ever been to a political rally when you sit back and realize some of that was worship? Of course, of course we have. And, and so, no, the problem isn't that heaven will be boring, but that we've allowed our own worship in our lives to become boring. So, yeah, I, there will be a lot of worship lauding in heaven. Secondly, we will lead. We will rule. 2 Timothy uh, 2, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. We will reign with him, Matthew 24. Um, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. Matthew 25, 23. Uh, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter to the joy of your master. Revelation 2 uh, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him, I will give authority over the nations. He who rules them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority from my father. You see, you see the theme here. One Corinthians two or six, rather verse two, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge the angels? Now, what does this mean? I don't really know. But it's there in the Bible. There seems to be some delegation that will be going on, which really shouldn't surprise us. Go back all the way back to Genesis 1. What is it that you have is God delegates authority and responsibility to Adam and Eve. They are to subdue the earth. Adam functions as a vice regent over creation, which is why when the serpent enters into the garden, Adam has failed as the king, the prophet, priest, and king of the garden, because Adam's responsibility in protecting the sanctuary of God was to crush the head of the serpent. Which is why in the prophecy, we find that a true and better Adam will come who will do precisely that. So it's not surprising that if, 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 if we get a new heavens and new earth, a, a, a better Eden, then the patterns we saw in the first Eden, we will see in the other. Now, what does it mean to, 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 to uh, um, uh, rule and judge the angels? I have no idea. Or I'll just shoot straight with that. I don't know. What does it mean that we will have sort of authority? I don't know, but it's there. Do with it whatever you want. What it does mean is you and I got work to do. And if we are expected to do that there, we had better start practicing here, right? 
we, 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 we better be able to, to prove that we are worthy of such leadership and responsibility. Speaking of that, we will labor, we will work, we will serve. And let's not forget that work is not part of the curse of God. Uh, rather, it is part of what it means to be human. Uh, if you ever noticed that, that there are people you love right now, and there's people I love right now, they need to retire. At the same time, retiring might be the worst thing for them, right? You know, you know like my, that's my dad right now. I don't know how many times I say, Dad, we, we want you to retire, but retire so that you can work, but not have to drive over an hour one way in the middle of the night to do it, right? You know, and, and he's like, well, the minute I stop working, the minute I die. Well, then don't stop working. Just, just don't work there, okay? Work here, somewhere. Get a truck and a hammer and help people tear things up. I don't care what it is, right? Um, and there's, there's some real, real truth to that because we were meant for work. We were meant to be productive. There's something about it, particularly as men, to, to come home smelling the high heaven um, and knowing that you've provided for your family. There's something good about that. And, and that's something that nothing in this world can, can replace. Um, but what the curse has done is it distorts God's purpose and works. So on the one hand, we have those who prefer laziness. On the other hand, there are those uh, who may work for their own benefit or are workaholics. Uh, Jesus makes this clear. Uh, my father is working until now, so I'm working. And so it, it, there seems to be clear implication there. If there's leadership, there is responsibility, there is work. And so what we will have is that we will serve, we will work, but it will be a redeemed work. Fourthly, we will love. Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, which is what we talked about this morning, they, uh, those who are raised, will neither marry nor are given into marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, what, what this does not mean is we become the angels. We become like angels, but rather in the context of marriage... We will be like the marriage, be like the angels. You remember the the uh, the riddle that Jesus is presented is a woman who marries seven uh, brothers, right, and they all die, and no one seemed to want to investigate that. But um, you know, who will she be married to in heaven? And and Jesus' answer is, it's, it's better than that. This is why Christians have always referred to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, despite marital status. So my wife is my sister, and I am her brother. And that is an eternal relationship that, uh, that, is, um, that goes even beyond marriage. So, so what we have then is, is that, that, that what we get here um, is, is a picture of what awaits us. There, there is a better marriage that awaits us, and that is the groom, Christ, with the church, the bride. And so what we have is the comfort and security of eternal love that is expressed with our head, Christ, and we express among each other as brothers and sisters. Now, this is perhaps best demonstrated, at least for Baptists, by the constant reference to food in heaven. Right? We joked about this this morning. Uh, Luke 22, um, and I assign to you a kingdom. There's some more responsibility language. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of, of, of Israel, right? So, so again, you, you have the leadership stuff, but you have, you have the food and fellowship part. Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all the people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. I don't know much about alcohol, but that sounds pretty good, right? Um, it sounds like there would be much feasting. Remember, the Bible was written in the, in the context where most people went to bed hungry. 
So this was a great hope to have, and, and feast was related to fellowship and love. Revelation 19, 9, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And these are the true words of God. Food is associated with love, fellowship, affection, and communion. Fifthly, we will learn. This will probably be a surprise to us because there is the assumption that when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll, we'll have all of our questions answered. Um, and so what we want answered is, why did X happen on earth, right? Couldn't it have gone another way? One thing that's interesting is, is it seems that in the new heavens and new earth, we will continue to grow. Um, only God is omniscient. And so, and so what we see is that we grow in intimacy with him. Let me give you a few verses here. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. For now we see in a mirror dimly and then face to face. Now I know a part, then I shall truly, I know fully, even as I have been fully known. Ephesians 2, uh, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Christ, you looked at this this morning. In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards him. Notice, in the coming ages, he will show us this. So there's the continuing growing. The word there, show, in Ephesians 2, means to reveal. This means that I believe when we get to new heavens and new earth, we will continue to discover new things. I want you to think about that. There, there is no one you know more in this world than your spouse. Um, chances are if your, your kids come to you, particularly if you're a mom, your kids have come to you, they, they, they got to share something. They're going to go to mom first, right? Because mom's going to know how dad is going to react and how to keep him from reacting like that, right? You know, there's, there's, there's that base knowledge you, you know. Um, and, and I joke all the time that I, I know my wife so well. And at times, unfortunately, she knows me too well. Um, yet at the same time, you're still learning about each other, aren't you? It's like you fully know each other. There's, there's no surprises, and yet you're being surprised all the time. Same time. It's true. Right. Um, and I think having to be like that. We will have a fuller knowledge but the immeasurable, or God's grace is so immeasurable, we'll need eternity to explore it. There's something beautiful in that. Let me give you just one more. And that is we will lounge. That is that we will find rest. Rest in Scripture re- refers to two things. One, we will rest from labor. Although, remember, we still work, right? So both are true. So we rest from labor. Secondly, we rest in Christ. Both are presented in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 14, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Their deeds follow them. Or Hebrews 4, 11, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, the rest of Christ. So, so this is very clear in the Bible that what we find is eternal rest. Here we are striving because we are at war with the curse. But on that day, um, death will be thrown to a lake of fire. Sin will be forever conquered. And Satan himself will be destroyed. We will find rest for our weary souls. Remember what we said this morning, that although all these things are true about what awaits us, it is true about the life that we have now. That is why in the Bible, rest isn't just about labor. It's, it's not what you rest from, but who you rest in. And so if we rest in Christ now, we will find rest even in our labor now. Your job can be stressful. Your life can be stressful. Things can be difficult. But you can still find a rest that is immeasurable because you find it in Christ. Um, 
my wife and I are probably going through like the busiest time that we've ever had as, as parents, right? Because we have a middle schooler and a high schooler. Uh, I coach, uh, serve here. She's, she's the first job she's had in 14, 15 years. So it's been quite an adjustment for us. Um, but, but we can choose stress and anxiety and panic and frustration and, or through it all, we can get by each day resting in Christ. That's a far better way because, because many people who have nothing to do are anxious and they're equally anxious as those who are overwhelmed by what they have to do because rest isn't found in how empty your schedule is, but who it is you're resting in. So I'm looking forward to this. I don't know about you all. I'm looking forward to restful labor, right? That's what I, that's what I like because I'm a, I keep busy. I don't like to sit still. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, a full schedule of rest. That's, I don't know what that means, but that sounds really good. Sounds good at all. Well, hope you don't mind. I've, I've read this to you before, um, probably the last time we, we looked at this subject. Um, a song written by one of my favorite artists. They, they're not, I don't think they're making music anymore. It's Beautiful Eulogy, so it's not an old band. It's not Charles of Clay. Uh, but Beautiful Eulogy, their song Acquired in Heaven, second verse. On that day, we will sing of the name more excellent than angels, a purified bride, a refined heart, speech, and mind, where unity and fellowship is perfected in the church, where divine love rests in the hearts of the inhabitants of the new earth. To receive a crown only the casted down at the feet of the resurrected Jesus in a perfect, ceaseless form of worship, singing glory. The deliberating king who came not to conquer kingdoms, but to conquer hearts and to restore men back to what they were intended for. And escape from this life marked by anguish, a great fountain of love that flows from heaven's gates awaits us. You could take this world, its joys, its fleeting pleasures, but give us Jesus, our future hope and our greatest treasure. The fulfillment of our expectation with nothing to separate us, nothing to hinder the saints from the greatest expression of adoration, finally fit with language to describe, with the right words to express, the richness of eternal possession, the blessing of inheritance, where God will be seen through purified eyes, purged from the sin that blinded us from viewing God as glorified, where love will be expressed with perfect affection. But until then, we wait with expectation for all that we will acquire in heaven. Well, let's pray. Our Father, we ask that we would find in this